Well, good morning. How many of you made it through the rough week? How many had a rough week? Show of hands. Rough week? How many of you had a great week? Show of hands. How many of your week was just uh, okay? Just an average week for you? Got a mixture in the room. Got a mixture of a lot of different ideas and people that have come in here from all different walks of life. And hopefully if your week's been good, bad, or indifferent today, uh, perhaps you can grab something from this message. We are in the middle of a series, a mini-series, before we get to Easter, our Super Bowl Easter, where everybody gets to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but we don't have to wait till that day. Today we're going to do a three-part series, and I'm going to start it off with talking about what is Sunday. What do we do on Sunday? What's the purpose of Sundays? And, and today I wanted to start a little bit with rest and talking about work, rest, and how we celebrate as, as Christians. So I'd like to start off with just a word of prayer and invoke God into our, into our day as a good practice. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, there's so much that you want to say today, Lord. There's so much that you try to communicate to our hearts, Lord. I just pray that you, uh, you minister to the people that have come out here today, Lord, that you touch the hearts and the lives of those who may have had difficult weeks or may have had great weeks, Lord. I just pray that you don't let anything in me get in the way of what you'd have them here today, this morning, God. We thank you for the privilege and the honor to be here together, Lord, to celebrate your son, to love on each other, and to love you, God. Let us do that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about work, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about what is it like as a work culture where we are here in America. There's kind of like two kind of ideas. If you're, most of this today may seem like a little bit weird for you, but even if you're not a regular church attender, um, today you may get something out of the message. Hopefully you will. Uh, but also today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means as Christians to do these kinds of things. And in our culture, we have, we have a lot of interesting and mixed kind of groups, but one of the things that we know about Americans is that we really like to work. According to the average American, according to Gallup, works, no longer works 40 hours a week, but works on average 47 hours per week. Can anybody relate to 47-hour work weeks? It says that if you take a salary, 50% of you work at least 50 hours a week. So the, the days are going and, and the, are getting longer and longer. The work weeks are getting longer and longer as we go on, as we, as we progress in this culture. And um, work is a big part of what we do. Some people work so much they don't even remember what day it is anymore from week to week or when calendar to calendar. But some work, they're working hard, they're tirelessly engaged in the work week, trying to get things done so that they can bring home things to their families and friends. Um, and, and hopefully as Christians, that's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to support each other. Some people have to take two jobs. Some people who have salaries, if you give a big salary, they tend to want you to work more hours because you're getting paid to justify the salary. So no matter what spectrum you are, where you fall, work is a big part of the American culture. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. But also in the world, work is a big thing. People judge work judge people by what they do for a living. So when they go up to somebody, inevitably they'll interact and the first thing is like, my name is Joe or Bob or whatever. And the question usually is, what do you do for a living? Because a big part of how we define ourselves is the roles that we're playing and the toils that we do and the things that we're working on in our lives. That plays a big part into what it is that we're doing. But sometimes we get so kind of caught up in the work week, even as Christians and even in the world, that sometimes I wonder if we're being led by our calendars or our... Are we leading our calendars or are our calendars leading us? Has work become so busy that it's distracting our, we're just distracting ourselves with things because we'd have to take a moment to think. But that isn't just the only kind of a culture we have in America. We also have a play culture. Work hard, play hard. 
party hard. I remember when I was in college, I, I, could amaze, I was amazed at some of these grad students how much they could drink in a given week and then still get up in the morning and attend class, just pounding and pounding and celebrating. And I'd be like, what's the deal? Well, we just want to enjoy life. We want to enjoy it to the fullest. We want to hang out with our friends and celebrate. And I'll go, okay, well, what happened yesterday? I don't remember yesterday. It was a big blank. <laughs> So what are we drinking for at some point? It's just like what we're working for. We can be so engaged in celebrating and wanting to party and live life to the fullest, but we forget. We don't even remember what happened. And at the question also remains, are we celebrating life or are we distracting ourselves with things that may entertain us? Things that aren't necessarily even bad. Now, that may be a bad example to go out and get bombed drunk and then come back to school in the morning, but some of us actually do fill our days with good things. It is good to work. It is good to engage. It is good. We're building things. We're building good things. It is good to celebrate with family. It is good to engage with family and friends. It's wonderful to celebrate life and the riches. But sometimes it's hard to know who's leading who and what's leading what. And so sometimes we have to put our lives in perspectives. And so that's kind of a bit about what I wanted to talk about today. The Bible, what the Bible thinks about work, what it thinks about rest, and how it thinks about celebrating. And so when we, if you have your Bibles with me, if you'll turn to Genesis 2, 1 through 3, uh, we will start with where the Bible starts with, is what it, its principles of work and rest. When the Bible talks about principles of work, and more specifically rest, it's, it calls it Sabbath. And so here we find God creates the heavens and the earth, and in this passage, he's going to do something... It seems kind of peculiar for someone who doesn't really need a lot of sleep. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them... You go there so you can read along with me. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all this work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So right here, we see God invoking into man the history of man, what it means to work and what it means to rest, to work six days, to rest one day, to have a time of labor and have a time of reflection. Now, God at this point does not need to physically rest, though this would become the edict later on when we get into the Mosaic law. But for God, he wanted to people to sit and notice that even he himself will notice the work that is there and enjoy the work that is before him that he created. The world is his, and it's his, and he created everything in it, including us, including work. You see, work existed before the fall. And at this point in the passage, God is working, and so is Adam in the garden. So work is not an evil thing. You ever notice how what we do for work actually has positive connotations? We maintain something. We create, we repair, we restore, we inform. We're in the service industry. Work is a good thing. And God here says work is a good thing. And after the fall, though, sin entered in and work became more of a toil. But still, through the hardship and the labor, there's still good that can be done. And so God wanted us to know that this is an important principle to him, so much so that he took it upon himself to do an action, to encourage us to do an action. And he set the principle in motion of both resting and working. But it wasn't just a rest and work. It's God completed creation and he finished it and he acknowledged that he had finished it. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to work and engage and to acknowledge who he is and that we are okay to engage in the work and enjoy it. It's finished and that we did so as a blessing to him. 
Later on, uh, God would be so concerned that when he consecrates Israel and sets them apart and sets out the Mosaic law, he adds the principle of the Sabbath to the law itself. And so here in Exodus 20, 8 through 10, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, he makes it the fourth commandment. And here in the instructions he reads, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your works, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, your sojourners that within your gates. From in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all of them. Move ahead there. The sea and all of that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So even the Sabbath, even though God added ceremonial aspects to the Sabbath and he made it a principle of practicality for a nation, the principles still remained. And so God wanted his people to be different. And I imagine what it would have been like for for the, the tribes that are surrounding and the nations that surrounded Israel to notice what a peculiar thing it is for a whole nation of people to decide to stop working in order to honor their God. What was the Philistines must have thought, or the tribes around them, their enemies have thought, what a waste. They could be making so much money on that day. They could be doing so much. They could be gearing for war. They could be preparing. But they choose to put that aside to honor God. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to see that, that he wanted the other nations to see that in Israel, when they rested on God, that they had their priorities in order. And so he set this into motion. But as you know, with anything with the law, the law was set up to show that we are not strong enough in our own abilities to be good and that we fall short of the law and that we need a redeemer. And so a part of these ceremonial laws become distorted later on as Jesus makes his, his time on the ministry. And so as we go on, In Jesus' times, he's confronted by the Pharisees. And he has to set the record straight again about what the principles of the Sabbath are because people are getting confused again and adding to the principles. So here, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. And we'll pick up a story where Jesus engages with the Pharisees. It's Mark 2, 23 through 28. That's a lovely sound, the sound of Bibles turning. (laughs) On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain field, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So Jesus is walking along with his disciples. They've been ministering a long day. They've had a long day. His disciples see the grain as they're walking through a grain field. And they pluck the heads of the grain and they rub them out. And they're just eating little bits and pieces to kind of give them some substance as they walk. And lo and behold, out of the, it almost, sounds like, almost like they came out of the bushes. They've just been following Jesus around. And go, oh, look, he broke a law. Let's get him. And they jump out there and they confront, not the disciples, they confront Jesus. Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he saw the need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him, he entered the house of God and at the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Peculiar response, right? 
a lot of people don't know that what the Pharisees were adding were actually more things to the actual law. So if you go back and you study this and you go back, it wasn't unlawful for someone to actually pluck a head of grain. That's not considered work according to the ceremonial laws, even in the Mosaic laws, even though they were very strict. And Jesus knows this. He wrote the laws. He's very familiar with them. He could have just easily confronted them and said, you know what, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me take you to this passage of scripture and let me tell you why you're wrong and you're just not wrong and um, I'm God. But instead he does something really peculiar. He asks them to remember a time about David. Now, King David was, was, was one of the most honored kings, and in the time of the, uh, the time of this story, David was being hunted by Saul. King Saul wanted to kill him. God had anointed King David to be the next successor to Israel, and so he was on the run. And while he was on the run, his men were starving, and they were in need. And they went to the high priest, and the high priest gave them the consecrated bread that was only set apart to actually honor the ceremonies that they were going through. And he gave it to them. And nowhere in this passage does it say that that was a violation of God's law. And the Pharisees were aware of that. That's why they don't have any say in this matter. They, they just get frustrated and they leave. And so they were adding to the law, and God is trying to get them to readjust their principles by getting the story and introducing it to them. So they had actually made not working a work. They had actually made trying to honor something that was good and turned it into something that was more about honoring what they think that you should do than honoring God. And it's very easy to do that within our work and our rest where somehow we lose Jesus in the mix. The whole point of the Sabbath was to what? Was to honor God. And God is in their midst and they completely don't see him. They don't recognize him at all. And he has to tell them through a story. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The whole point of the Sabbath, even the ceremonial laws, was to get man to focus on God, and he's the creator of the universe. And then he wants you to rest in him, and he wants you to rely on him. And even though the ceremonies are hard, they make you long for wanting the Savior because no one is good enough. And the Savior that is there to deliver them because none of them are good enough is in their midst, and they don't recognize them because their priorities were out of order. See, it's not enough just to rest, take a nap, get up, and go back to work. This isn't the kind of rest that's going on here. There's a longer rest that's going on. Jesus is the Lord even of the Sabbath because without Christ, no work, no toil has any meaning. So you can work and good things can happen. But in the end, after 20 years, you get the gold watch and you get dropped off. Within three to four years, do people even remember that you work there? So what was the point of laboring all this time? What's the point of working so hard on something, yet it doesn't have any fruitful labor that you see, and it could be erased at a moment's notice. But that's the thing. When we work and we toil, we don't work just for ourselves. We work for God. It's Christ that redeems those works. It's Christ that redeems the difficulties that we go through. And, and Jesus is here saying, the reason why you work, the reason why you labor, the reason why you exist is here in your presence. Don't miss it getting caught up with what you're doing with working and resting and working and resting. So much so that he goes on later on, and many people are familiar with this. Um, we cannot truly rest without the Lord. But, and this verse illustrates it the best. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. 
So the whole point of the Sabbath rest is that we ultimately realize that no matter how much we toil, how much we work, no matter how much we try to keep the law, that we can't do that. And so Christ came along to redeem us, to redeem our work. And when we rely on him, everything has meaning. So the principle of the Sabbath is that we take time to rest and focus in on what God has done for us. It helps us prioritize what we see, what we do, how we exist, how we interact. And so that's the purpose of the Sabbath. But later on, we start to realize Christ died. Wait a minute, I thought, those are my theologians here, I thought we don't have to celebrate the Sabbath. I thought that was all done away with. And to that I want to say, yes, because of Christ's death and resurrection, he fulfilled the Sabbath and a lot of the law. We are not obligated to do as they did in the Old Testament. But I think we're still obligated to rest in the Lord. I think we're still obligated to rest and, and honor God with our work and in our abilities. And I don't think that falls away. Later on, the church, would, you would see the Sabbath disappear and something would come up in its place. And so I'm going to take you a little bit through these passages here in the Bible. Obviously, we're all gathered here on, on Sunday. How did we get here on Sunday? And how did Sunday become the day that we decide to come together as a church? And so what you see here right from the beginning is in John 20, verse 1. Something amazing happened on a Sunday. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You see, the early church started to celebrate and hang out and engage with each other because of the resurrection of Christ. God rose on the eighth day and he started to, and the church started to want to acknowledge this fact. So they started to help to celebrate on that day. Later on, God would wait until the day of Pentecost, which is also a Sunday, and he would appear to the church um, and he would gather them and he had had the day of Pentecost and embarked his spirit upon them. So traditionally, the church would worship on that day. Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him, intended to be departed on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So here you have Paul, not just hanging out during the normal time, but celebrating, ministering to one another. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you put aside something aside and store it up so that he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I, when I come. So here you see Paul on, a, on the day that people are gathering, trying to gather enough funds to go minister to the other parts of the church. The church, in honor of the resurrection and in honor of Christ, decides to celebrate the resurrection and the breaking of bread and communion. And they started hanging out together and meeting each other's needs. They were so excited for what Christ had done for them in their life that they started to actually gather together and minister. And that is why we're here today. Which is funny because when we talk about celebration, it's, it's really easy to think that, that the church is just here as just a, we, something that we plug in on our weekly calendar. We come in here on Sunday, we celebrate, and then we're done celebrating and our celebration is over. But you see in these passages, they're doing way more in their fellowship and they're, and they're celebrating. So as Christians, we ought to be the best at celebrating since our hope is in Christ. So, you know, it's true. It's true that there is no one should pass judgment on you or question you for food or drink or regarding to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. There are, these are the shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
So it is true. Don't let anyone tell you, okay, we've got to argue over this day or that day. But, but know that God knows that you are free, but that doesn't mean that you're not free to rest in Christ. The substance of what we do belongs to Christ. At some point in our life, we need to focus on God. We need to celebrate God. We need to rest, and we need to understand that our work is honored through him. So how do we live this life of rhythm and balance? What do we do? You don't understand, see, when I'm working through a difficult time, there's this time in my life where I don't know, I have to make ends meet, I have to work, I, don't, I, I can't get to where I want to be, where I want to go. You don't understand, work is a good thing, I'm trying to get my family to where I am, I'm trying to be safe, I'm trying to, to get to a place where I think God will want me to be. And I think all of those are noble things. I think it's great that we actually want to, to work hard to care for our families and needs. But at some point in our life, we need to sit and focus on the Lord. See, the problem with life isn't the fact that we want to go out and party all night long and then, you know, say that's, that's an honorable way to celebrate or work, be workaholics and not care about anyone and just try and get ahead. That isn't usually the problem that people tend to wrestle with, even if that's what they're doing. They're substituting certain goods for other certain goods. Working hard is a good thing, but if we don't ever sit down and ask God to be a part of our week, how do we know if what we worked for is something that he wants us to do? How do we know if God is really honored in the things that we're doing if we never spend any time with him? Now, you don't have to spend time having a time set aside for God by the law, but in principle, it might be a good thing. You see, many people here are married. It's not necessarily a law that you have to celebrate your anniversary. I would recommend that you do it, but it's not a requirement by the Mosaic law or the law of the land. Or when you get married, maybe some of you have added it to your vows. I don't know. <laughs> but I guarantee you there'll be a rift in your relationship if you don't take time to remember. And constantly Christ is encouraging us through communion, through celebration, to hanging out, through rest, through the time, to take aside a time of our busy lives and focus in on God. Because it's important. So in Hebrews 4, 1 through 2, we see here in this passage, Therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still stand, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as then, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith to those who listened. Now, it seems kind of weird, but this passage in Hebrew chapters 4 is talking about the people who couldn't enter the promised land. They had disappointed God. They had stopped honoring the Sabbath. They had stopped following his ways. And God said, this generation won't enter into the promised land. And here in Hebrew, the author of Hebrew is making a parallel. That the good news was sent to them, just like the good news was sent to all of us. But they never actually sat down and rested in the knowledge of who God is and what Christ did for their life. And he's encouraging us in this passage not to forget that the good news was given to all of us so that we could celebrate Christ, so that we could have rest, and that God is calling us, that Christ is calling us to himself, encouraging us to interact one with another. So it's a matter of do I have the right rhythm in life as creatures? We're really different than bears, right? Bears can hibernate. They, they really don't have a lot of choice in the biology. If they don't hibernate, bad things happen. Their cycles are set. But humans can kind of do whatever they want. They can mess up the balances of their life. They have a lot more will than the animals around us. Our nature isn't just designed like the, like the nature here, but God is trying to say we're not just physical, but we're also spiritual and that we need to gauge our spirituality based on him and a regular occurrence of him entering into our priorities. So how does this work? How do I go through my daily week? 
Well, setting aside a time and focusing on God, I think, is helpful. And I think that's really the challenge for this particular week. As a family or as an individual, is there ever a time where you sit down somewhere and evaluate how much you rest and how much you work? And so my challenge is to ask myself, ask, ask, is my life in balance with the principles of the Sabbath? Is it, is, is, am I so wrapped up in what I'm doing, even the good that I'm doing, that I never actually sit down and evaluate, even weekly, what, what, what happened that last week? I feel like sometimes my, I'm not very good at this. I've preached three different messages. One on the wrath of God, which was really difficult. I don't think I understood that until I read that. I preached one on, on reaching out to other people. And that was difficult because I don't necessarily do that well. And then all of a sudden on top of that, God's like, you know, I want you to preach on rest. And I don't do that very well. This isn't even my Sabbath. <laughs> this isn't even a day. This is the day where we labor. And so I, I get the struggle that even when you're doing good, even when you're in church working for the benefit of others, that God still wants us to sit still and focus in on him, to recalibrate, to redirect our lives. As a pathfinder, as someone who actually goes out and hunts, the, uh, not hunts, but um, travels, like I was, I was talking with my dad about how sometimes people get off click when they're actually, when they're hiking, and that's why they take a compass. That if you just walk in a direction and you think you're headed in a direction, that you tend to drift and walk in circles, especially if you're going through a thick forest. So you bring a compass and you set a gauge and you set a, a direction and you head in that direction. And you have to check every so often that you're not going in the wrong way. And literally, people will walk in circles if they don't do this. And that's exactly sometimes how it feels in my life. That I'm just walking in circles and I'm never stopping to figure out, where is my true north pointed to? What is the true purpose of my week? Am I heading in the direction? I thought I was going in a good direction, but now I'm a little off kilter. And so just this week, what I want to encourage us to do is to sit, take a moment, and do that battery and assessment in our lives. Ask God, Weekly, God, how did that week go? What did it do? What do I need to focus on? That may mean that for some of you, you may not get that promotion because God is asking you to take a part of your life and set it aside for him. Because someone else is going to work seven hours and you're not. That may mean the sacrifice. But in the end, it's not going to burn you out. That you'll understand that I don't work for other people. I work for God. That you reach people that I could never reach that you minister to people that I could never minister to, that we here at the staff could never see, and that that is really the true purpose of your work, is to do good works so that other people see God and glorify him in heaven. So we're not just working for ourselves. We are all in the ministry together. We are all one church. But that's not all. I don't want us to just get work and rest right, and it's a struggle, and I struggle with you on it. But also, we need to learn how to celebrate. If Jesus Christ died and the whole church is redesigning their life around it, or the early church, because it is the most extraordinary thing for someone to rise from the dead and save you from your sins, that they're willing to give away their stuff to engage with each other because they're so excited for what God's done with them. They're happy. There isn't any more celebration that could be more honored than something like that. No amount of drinking, no amount of any kind of engagement, no matter any kind of experience will never satisfy like the Lord can satisfy. Because in the end, that is the purpose and the meaning for what we're doing. So if a church is a place where we gather to celebrate, enjoy each other's fellowship, and meet each other's need, then am I setting aside enough time in my life to do that? As a church, we meet on Sunday every week. And I think if I don't go over roughly 75 minutes we spend in here together, 
Is that really enough time for us to meet each other's needs? Is that really enough time for us to set apart our lives and really engage in fellowship with the family of Christ? Are we obligated to do more than that on this day of the Lord? And that's another assessment that I think we have to make as a church because we're in this together. And so my challenge is, church, to really kind of sit down and contemplate this week a time to set apart this time and to actually take those two challenges. And I don't just preach this because I think that it's something that, you know, it sounds good in a book or, but but this is the reason why we're here. You don't understand that in this room, there may be someone that needs you. But even in coming here and worshiping God on a Sunday and going out and having a good time with your family, there may be ministry that we may be overlooking. When I was a young boy, I remember I was really struggling. My family wasn't necessarily always in the church mode. They weren't always doing the right thing. And there was difficult times at home. And I was really struggling. I didn't understand a lot of what, what, a, what, a, what a life looked like and around Christians. What do, what do they do? And I really wanted to honor God. And a pastor took just a moment of his time on a Sunday to take me to a ball game with his family. And I got to see what a family that loves each other looks like. And for a young kid who sees difficulties, who's gone through difficult times, that's the reason why I'm here today. It's because someone decided to give up their family time to hang out with someone like me. Someone decided to let the orphan, the widow, the difficult person in. So you don't know how much you're influencing the people that you're sitting around. Commit to them. Jump in full-heartedly and love them like Christ loved you. Because you just don't know who's sitting next to you. And you don't know the blessings that you can provide. So that's my challenge, church. And I want us to just honor God that we say that we love God and we say that we love him. Let it be reflected in the weeks that we go. Let it be reflected in the way that we love. Let it be reflected in the choices we make and the rests that we take. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear God, you're the reason why we're here. You're the reason that we move, that we have all the blessings that we have. Without you, we are blindly walking in circles, thinking we're going in the right direction, but in the end, we're just as lost as we ever were. You are our true north. You are our compass, God. If we don't ever set aside time to focus in on you, how do we know about the ministry that we're missing out on? The blessings that you have to change lives around us. Let us not be so focused on us, but let us focus purely on you, Lord, your son. I pray for those with every head bowed and eye closed. If that's you today, if you're that person and you just feel like life is beating you up, that you can't get rest, that there's something in your soul that no matter what you do, it's just not enough. It doesn't make any sense. Why am I here? Christ wants you to know, I have the reason. I have the rest. He died. He knows you. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of the family of God. He wants you to engage. So if that's you and that's what you want, would you please raise your hand? Because he was calling you right now. Thank you. For those of you who raise your hand, please repeat this prayer. God, I've tried to do everything on my own but I realized I fall short. I need, to be, I need to be focused in on you. Without you, I can do nothing. You are my savior. You die for me. And in you, I have purpose and meaning. 
So forgive me of my sins, God. Cleanse me of all the things that are selfish in me, Lord, that are in the wrong direction, Lord. Let me focus purely on you. And thank you for dying and giving me purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.